Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. When you open your Bibles, page one, verse one, and start reading, you immediately encounter a God of love who creates the universe and creates human beings in his image. And he places the first human beings uh, in a garden that is without sin or death. Uh, to live in intimacy with Him, and to partner with Him in ruling and reigning over creation. But by the time you get a few pages in, uh, humanity rejects God's kingship, attempts to seize autonomy for themselves, and they embrace sin and death in the process. And so from page 4 onward, What we read about is God on this sort of rescue mission to win back humanity and bring them back into this place of blessing, a place ultimately that will be without sin or death where they can be with Him forever. And from page four onward, God works relentlessly for that purpose. But the way that he goes about doing that is rather curious. In order to bring humanity back on track, he begins making a series of covenants or agreements with specific humans. He he starts partnering with humans as part of his rescue plan for humanity. And so, uh, as you read through the scriptures, uh, God calls Noah to himself and uh, wipes out the rest of corrupted humanity. And as the floodwaters recede, God makes a covenant or agreement with Noah. And slowly from that point, humanity begins to spiral downward again, back into uh, chaos and darkness. And again, God makes a covenant with a man named Abraham. And he pledges himself to Abraham and his descendants, uh, promising to bless the entire world through this specific family line. And then the Bible starts following the story of this family line very intently. And after some time, they end up in slavery in Egypt. And so God, being faithful to the covenant that he made with Abraham, rescues his descendants out of slavery. And if you've been with us the last two weeks, we've been studying that. God brings plagues and he brings the Passover and he parts the Red Sea, all as a means of freeing Abraham's descendants from slavery. And then he calls these descendants, perhaps a million or more, to come and form a covenant with him. This is Exodus 19, verse 1. 
Uh, and just to set the scene, these a million or so slaves have been freed uh, from slavery by God's hand. They're out in the desert. God's guiding them. He's providing for them. He's leading them toward the promised land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. And then we read this. Uh, this is Exodus 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out for a different place, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, who was renamed Israel, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant that they're forming right now, then out of all of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Skip down to verse 16. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. From here, God is going to give Moses the terms of this covenant or agreement that's being formed between God and Israel. And God is pledging himself to them as a people, promising to bless them and give them land and a future. And the Israelites, in turn, are committing to be his people and follow the laws that are being handed down today, that they're part of the covenant. And if they do, and they walk in these things that God is calling them to, then God is going to actually use them to impact the entire world. And point humanity back to himself. In fact, we just read that God tells them, hey, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you want to know what Israel was all about, and who they were intended to be, this is it. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation set apart for God's unique purpose of being a blessing to the entire world and calling the world back to himself. It's all part of this covenant that's being formed at Mount Sinai. You see, God didn't just free the Israelites from slavery so that they could be free. Does God like freeing slaves? Why, yes, he does. In any context, that's God's heart. But notice 
that this is about more than freedom. He didn't just free Israel so that they could kick back and enjoy the rest of their lives. So that they could enjoy the fruit of the promised land and retire early, live the Israelite dream. No. God freed them with a purpose. And the purpose was this covenant. And a covenant is a relationship, but it's more than that. It's a partnership. It's partnering together with God to accomplish His mission in the world. And we don't really deal much with uh, covenants in uh, the modern day. And so that concept, it doesn't really mean much to us. It doesn't resonate with us. But the closest thing that we have uh, to a covenant in our day and age uh, is marriage. So uh, five years ago, on this very weekend, uh, my then fiancé and I uh, stood in front of a group of our friends and family members, and we pledged our lives to one another. Abby and I uh, entered a lifelong covenant marriage relationship with one another. And as part of that covenant, we made public promises uh, back and forth, uh, forsaking all others and entering into this unique relationship that has become central to our lives. Uh, central to our day-to-day living. Marriage affects every aspect of who we are and how we go about our day. And it comes loaded with terms and expectations. And we didn't express all of those terms out loud in our wedding day. It would have taken a long time. But as you step into marriage, uh, most of those things were unspoken but still very real so within the covenant that we formed uh, we are uh, pledging to be faithful to one another Uh, we're, we're pledging to love and respect each other and to live in the same house and to share our property and to jointly invest in our children and on and on and on it goes there's this sort of loaded it's all in there it's all part of the covenant that's being Formed. And there's a sense in which that's what Israel is doing at Mount Sinai. They're stepping into a lifelong covenant relationship with the one who loves them and is faithful to them. And in return, Israel is to love God and be faithful to God. And God lists out the covenant terms as the means by which they are to operate as his people within covenant relationship. Uh, Those terms, as I mentioned, are mostly unspoken in marriage. Like when you form the covenant marriage, you don't like unroll this giant scroll and just like read through like every little thing that's going to be a part of the covenant. Um, They do here. Uh, This is not like an unspoken, let's just pledge and go on. Like God actually begins to list out Uh, all of the laws that are part of this covenant. They're very thorough instructions as to what it looks like to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so you have the Ten Commandments, uh, but actually in total, God gives them 613 laws. 
which would embody God's wisdom and reflect God to the world and make Israel a light, which would then draw the nations back to himself. And so those laws make up most of the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is why you all love reading those books. But all of these laws together helped form this covenant that God was making with Israel. And if you want to know how Israel did within the covenant relationship and and how they operated as this intended loving uh, partnership with God, well, then you have to read the rest of the Old Testament. It's all about Israel's struggle to operate in covenant relationship with God and in God's sort of relentless pursuit of Israel. He, he can't stop loving them. He can't stop being faithful to them. He, he's, he's pursuing them throughout. And yet, Israel is completely unfaithful in so many ways. And they kind of shrug off the law. And they tend to ignore God. And they actually are much more passionate about worshiping other gods and embracing the injustice that comes along with that. And and so, as you read through the rest of the Old Testament, what you're reading about is this drama that's unfolding in the shadow of a covenant that's been made. And, And yet, these people are acting completely inconsistent with the covenant. They're not acting as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They've stepped into this lifelong covenant, and yet they seem to be breaking all of the terms all the time. So, So that's the drama of the Old Testament. It happens in the context or in the shadow of the covenant that's made at Mount Sinai. And so eventually... God starts sending messengers, or what we call the prophets, and he gives them a message to speak to Israel, to speak to his people. And we'll study the prophets more in depth in the coming months. We have another series on that. Uh, But it's worth noting that they are uh, essentially announcing to Israel uh, their, their covenant unfaithfulness. Hey, Israel, remember the covenant. Hey, remember God's faithfulness to us. Hey, remember what God's calling us to. Hey, remember that thing about being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Town by town, city by city, king to king, one after the next. It's like these alarm bells. The prophets are these alarm bells that are just going off. They're saying, something is wrong here. This is not working. Is anybody listening? Hey, Israel, wake up. This is who you were supposed to be and you've forgotten. You're not doing the the thing that God called you to do. And and as a result, if you don't wake up, you're going into exile. God told you that you would be in the promised land as his covenant partners. And then if you didn't operate in the covenant, you would leave the promised land. That's coming. It wasn't a joke. Like, wake up. And so you have these alarm bells that are going off. And, and that's kind of why if you are familiar with the scriptures and you read through the prophets, they often sound so angry. 
Like, why are the prophets so angry? Like, why are they so upset? That, that's why. It's, it, it's in the shadow of the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai. And so they're saying, hey, you're breaking the covenant. Exile is coming. This is not good for Israel. But, curiously, their message didn't end with exile. The prophets actually saw beyond that, and they began prophesying about a time after the exile, when, when, when Israel would be brought back out of their captivity into the land, and God would form a new covenant with them. You had one on Mount Sinai. We've had hundreds of years of struggle. You're going to leave the land, but there's still hope on the other side of exile. God's going to form a new covenant. Back when we started this uh, Bible in a Year series in September, we invited uh, the church, all of you guys, to uh, read through the Bible in a year. And for those of you who are still tracking with that and reading the Bible in a year, this morning uh, we read at Jeremiah 31. And Jeremiah was one of the prophets uh, hundreds of years before Jesus. Uh, But this is uh, one of many places where the prophets speak about what is to come on the other side of exile. Here's what he says, Jeremiah 31. He says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Next slide. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Over and over again, Prophet after prophet, they begin to speak about what's going to happen next. They begin to speak of this new covenant in which God is actually going to transform hearts and minds so that human beings can, can, can more properly function as God's covenant partner. And they say, hey, in this new covenant, people will have renewed hearts and renewed minds. In this new covenant, God will pour out his spirit not just on a prophet or a leader, but on everybody who's a part of the new covenant. God's going to pour out forgiveness on people. And and they keep telling us what's coming, this new thing that God's going to do. But it's all in the context of a new covenant that God's going to make. There'll be forgiveness of sin. There'll be a pouring out of the Holy Spirit and a renewed people with transformed hearts in a new covenant. And I don't know about you, but this is actually really helpful for me in discerning what God is up to in the here and now. You see, when I first uh, placed my faith in God, uh, coming out of atheism and into this light, I, I found God so compelling. I was overwhelmed, having gone 20 years not knowing God, I was overwhelmed by the beauty of God. And I wanted to give my life to him. 
And so I, I placed my faith in God, in Jesus, and it changed me because all of a sudden I knew in my heart that God was real. And I looked out the window, the same window I had always been looking out, but all of a sudden the world felt different. It was like I was seeing the world through a new lens. And everything began to change. I had this crazy hope that I'd never had before. I knew that I would spend eternity with God. And that, that, that changes you. It has to change you. But after a few months, uh, things kind of went back to normal. I mean, I was different. I was changed. I had this new perspective on reality. I had this uh, hope for eternity, for the future that I hadn't had before. I knew that my sin was forgiven. I knew that I was cleansed. I was adopted in to God's family. I had this hope sustaining me. But day-to-day life kind of just went back to normal. And if you had asked me at that point uh, what the point of my life was, I would have told you that it was to work hard and achieve your dreams. That's it. Like, that's what we're here to do. Achieve your dreams, or at least the American dream. And if you're a spiritual person, well, then you just ask God to help you achieve your dreams along the way. Okay. Not the worst outlook in the world. I was a Christian and I wasn't killing anyone. Life was moving along just fine. But I was missing out on what it really means to follow Jesus. For years, I actually had no clue that this whole other way of life existed. I didn't know that that I could walk in the Spirit and experience intimacy with God day in and day out. I didn't know that I could have this constant, ongoing relationship with God, and we can. That's what we're invited into. You're invited into an ongoing relationship with God. But what's the nature of that relationship? Is it a a casual friendship? Is God my life coach who who helps me accomplish my dreams? Well, no. According to the scriptures, the nature of the relationship between you and God is a covenant relationship. You see, God is still up to the same plan that he's always been up to. The same plan that he was working out through Noah and through Abraham and through Israel and now through you and me. His mission hasn't changed. His mission is the salvation of humanity and the renewal of all things. He is out to rescue and redeem all of creation with a special eye on humanity. And he's still looking for covenant partners who will join him in accomplishing his mission 
in the world. You see, in American Christianity, I think we actually have a pretty clear idea of what God is saving us from. We have a pretty clear picture of what God is saving us out of. He's saving us from eternity without him. He's saving us out of slavery to Satan, sin, and death. He saves us from ourselves. But what is he saving us to? What's our purpose after that point? To run it back through the lens of the story of Israel, uh, we know that he saved us out of judgment and slavery in Egypt and, and is leading us out to the desert. We just don't always have a clear picture of what happens next. What was the, what was the point? Where, where do we go from here? Do I just kind of wander around the desert and allow God to provide for me for a couple decades and just wait to die so I can go to heaven? And the answer is that God is saving us out of a whole bunch of stuff, but he's also saving us into something new, a new covenant relationship with him. In the new covenant, we place our faith in Jesus, uh, in his death on the cross on our behalf, in his rising from the dead again in resurrection. That's our part. It's the simple placing of faith. And God responds by being faithful to forgive us, to cleanse us, to adopt us in, to give us his spirit, and to make us new creations. That's his end of the new covenant. That's what happens as we're entering into the new covenant with God. You, faith, you place your faith in him and you get baptized. And if you haven't done those two things, that's the invitation this morning. But baptism is almost like a marriage ceremony. You and God have already pledged your lives to one another. And then there's this public ceremony in which you announce to the world, to the community of God, to friends, to family, the decision that you've made. And from that moment forward, you are in covenant relationship with God. And it's not dependent on any set of laws. Hallelujah for that. It's based on grace and, and Christ's perfect sacrifice for you on your behalf. Jesus is the new covenant. And, and, and so we don't have to fear um, slipping out of that covenant or breaking the covenant by our own performance. No amount of sin or mistakes could possibly jeopardize your new covenant relationship. You are completely secure in Christ. It's a different type of covenant but it's still a covenant. And a covenant is a daily thing. It's a whole person thing. And it's a lifelong thing. Yesterday, uh, my wife and I celebrated five years of marriage. And thank you. 
And, and the covenant that we've entered into five years ago is all of those things. It's a daily thing, it's a whole person thing, and it's a lifelong thing. My life will never again be just about me. It will always be about her as well. I don't plot my own course. I don't make my own decisions and ask her to just bless them. I, I don't check out and stop communicating for three weeks. So why would I do those things with God? God has invited you into an active covenant partnership. And it's a daily thing, and it's a whole life thing, and it's a lifelong thing. It, it's not, he doesn't want just bits and pieces of you. He's not just blessing you and sending you back out into the world. It, you're on a journey now together. So, so we don't just go our own way and ask God to bless it, and we don't check out for three weeks and just stop communicating. And our life is no longer just about us. Your life with Jesus will be way better than anything that you could experience outside of life with Jesus. But it comes with a cost. Because your life is no longer about you. You weren't freed from slavery in Egypt so that you could retire early or kick back and enjoy the promised land. You were freed up to partner with God in covenant relationship in which we live to see God's mission carried out in the world. God didn't forgive me and fill me with his spirit so that I could go out and accomplish my dreams. He did it as part of a covenant relationship. And so now I exist to accomplish his dreams. I now live to see his kingdom come and his will being done in my life, in my sphere of influence, in my community, in, in my city, as it is in heaven. God has freed us from judgment and slavery to the world, but now he calls us, just like he did with Israel, now he calls us to himself in covenant relationship. He doesn't free us up from slavery and send us on our way. He frees us up from slavery and says, come, follow me. Wait, like right now, me? You want me to come follow you? Where? Where are you going, Jesus? What are you, what are you up to? Well, just the redemption of humanity and the renewal of all things. Come, follow me. And together, we're going to free other people and make disciples and invite them into new covenant relationship. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus. Did you say we? Yeah, we together are going to do those things. It's a partnership. It's a covenant. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, 
I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that you, if you've given your life to Jesus, that you are in a covenant relationship with God. And it's not based on the law, and it's not based on your performance, it's based on grace. But it is still very much a a whole person, whole life, lifelong experience. And now, when I wake up in the morning, I don't start by asking God to bless my plans. I actually start by recognizing that I belong to God and on my best days, I turn off the alarm and I'm generally in a really bad mood because it's the morning. Even on my best days, I'm in a bad mood. But I sit there, on my best days, I I take a few minutes and I sit there and I say, God, what are you up to today? God, How can I follow you in covenant partnership today? My my schedule is already booked up. My day is, is almost totally spoken for. And I want you, God, to be involved in the things that I'm now called to do. But God, I also want to be in on what you're doing. God, what are you doing today? What are you up to? Life with God is not terribly different than marriage. How does my marriage affect my life? Well, it's my life isn't about me. It's actually about serving the other. And I work every day to learn how to communicate well with my wife. And I work every day to foster a connection and intimacy with my wife. If I don't try, it just doesn't happen. And I don't make decisions on my own. I invite my wife into that decision making and she does the same with me. How much more should we be doing that with God? What would it look like for us to work daily toward intimacy with God? What does that look like in your life? What does it look like for you to surrender your whole person over to Jesus so that the two of you can increasingly become one and share your lives together? What would it look like to bring God into the things that you're doing and to devote your life to partnering with God in what He's doing. Because if God just wants to give you a free pass to heaven and then move on, then the answers to these questions don't really matter. They just don't. But... If God is calling to himself covenant partners, people who will share their lives with him and and share, join in on his mission, then the answers to these questions begin to really matter. And to be clear, the new covenant doesn't hang on your performance. 
It doesn't hang on how awesome of a covenant partner you are. Your sin, your mistakes, your, your lack of intimacy with God, it doesn't affect your covenant standing before God. Because your covenant standing is actually based on Jesus and his performance and what he accomplished. There's a real sense in which Jesus is the new covenant and we are secure in him. But God has set up the universe in just such a way that it requires your participation. Don't ask me why he designed it that way. Don't ask me why he's using covenant partners in in his plan to rescue and redeem humanity. In, In the renewal of all things, he's actually calling us to play a role. And, and I don't know quite why he does that. It's part of the beauty and the mystery of God. But he's not just looking to free slaves. He's not just looking for empty shackles. He's looking for new covenant partners who are going to walk with him in intimacy and trust, in love and respect, and follow him into new and beautiful places. And it all starts with the way that we see ourselves. Do we see ourselves as passive recipients of grace, freed up to pursue the American dream? Or do we see ourselves as liberated new covenant partners who live to see his will be done and his kingdom come in this place as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we we look to you now and we ask you, God, Uh, to just open up our minds and our hearts to what it is you're doing in this reality. Uh, God, I pray for those of us in the room who haven't made the decision yet to step into new covenant relationship with you, to place their faith uh, in your death, burial, and resurrection, uh, to receive uh, that, that cleansing and that hope and that new identity. God, for those who haven't made that decision, I pray they'd have the boldness to step into that today, to enter new covenant with you. And God, for for the rest of us who have already made that decision, uh, this morning is just a reminder of of what we stepped into. Um, Those months ago, those years ago, whenever it was that we began this with you. So God, I pray that you would um, just remind us what it is you're inviting us into, uh, what it is uh, that you want to do tomorrow and the next week and the week after that. God, would you blow our minds with the possibilities uh, of what it is that you want to do here? And would you remind us that for whatever reason, you actually want to do it with us? We don't sit passively and, and just watch you do stuff in the world. You you actually call us to step in. I thank you for the importance and the dignity that that brings to human life, that our lives matter, that our Monday mornings matter. 
that we're not just waiting around to die. God, thank you for that. And and would you open our eyes to what's possible in this place? God, I I repent of the, the days and the years when I lived my life for me, post Jesus, post salvation, just lived my life for me, had no eye for you, for your kingdom, for what it is that you're up to. And in all reality, I look back on those years and I just think, I missed out. I missed out on what it was you were up to. So God, would you uh, speak to us now about what it looks like to take hold of the fullness of covenant life with you? In Jesus' name. Amen.